Good morning and welcome to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. I'm your editor, Bryce. And I'm one of your hosts, Erica. And I'm your other host, Abby. Welcome to our final episode of the Ted Bundy series where we cover his trials and his psyche vow. So pour yourselves a strong cup of dough and let's dive in. In June of 1979, Ted Bundy stood trial for the Chi Omega murders and assaults, as well as the attack on Cheryl Thomas shortly thereafter. Prior to the trial, Ted Bundy was offered a plea deal to which he would plead guilty to the murders and receive a 75-year sentence. However, he turned it down, saying that he just couldn't do it. And by that, he means that he would not admit he was guilty for something he didn't do in his own words. He wanted to maintain his innocence. What was the other option or the default, a life sentence? Life, possibility of a life sentence or the death penalty. Okay, so that was up in there. Okay. With his age, 75 years in prison is pretty much a life sentence anyways. So he was probably saying may as well just go for it. I think what they were advising him to do was to accept it so that he wouldn't get the chance of the death penalty, I think was more what they were aiming at. Because they were, discussion was pretty much the death sentence is now on the table. So Mm -hmm. you should probably not risk that. Yeah, which probably would have been a good idea for him to accept this plea deal, but he did not because he wanted to maintain his innocence. Dot, dot, dot. I think I'd rather die than spend a life in prison. Like get the death penalty? Yeah. 60% serious talking there. Honestly. (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, I've thought about that before too. And I think that's an argument that comes up a lot with whether or not the death penalty should be around is... Should these people possibly get kind of an out? Because if you're never given the chance of parole, the most interaction you're ever going to have with friends or family is through random visits that don't last very long and are always while you're in a certain area under vigorous restrictions. And the most free time you have is just out in a yard surrounded by fences, right? That's probably like the best case scenario. Oh, yeah, I can... I can see people's opinions on that going either way. It seems like a very polarizing topic in general. I mean, the death penalty in general is something people argue about whether it should be allowed or not. But I I see your point a lot where it's maybe they should have to live the rest of their life in this serving this punishment. Maybe we should do a mini on the death penalty. We sure can. On our personal beliefs. Could be interesting. And cover some of the arguments on either side of it. So like I was saying, Ted Bundy does not accept the plea deal and he is going to stand trial and he is going to represent himself because he's pretty confident that he can do a better job representing himself than having any lawyers there to help him out. And his trial was absolutely huge. It was the first to be nationally televised. He had already gotten so much attention and media coverage from his escapes and the violence of the crimes he committed that everybody was kind of watching in on this trial. There were a ton of reporters. It was also bringing in all the people who either wanted him to be punished and believed he was guilty, but as well as all these other people who thought Ted was still innocent. And something They know a lot in articles, and what's interesting is that 
The people who thought he was innocent would tend to be a lot of women, and they associate that to his charm and attractiveness and likability. Wasn't the majority of his victims women? They all were. They all were, right? So that's so weird. I don't know how I feel about it because people really thought he was innocent. I guess you would want to fight for in protest if you thought somebody was going to be convicted of crimes that they didn't commit. But it's sad in a way that not everyone could see all the evidence pointing towards him and especially women supporting his victims and their families. It's such an insane case. And there's so much to it and so much that we aren't even like scratching the surface of in our episodes because there's just so much information. Throughout the trial, Ted was very calm, cool, and collected. He put on his charm the whole time. He smiled a lot. He also referred to himself in third person as Mr. Bundy a lot of the time. Is that a legal tactic or is that disassociation? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Who knows? But it's weird. I think it's weird that he's like smiling a lot and it just, you know, a lot of it really, he acts so strange compared to even just a lot of the other like killers that we cover in cases. He's such a strange dude. There is a lot of evidence against Ted Bundy in relation to the Chi Omega House attacks and the Cheryl Thomas attacks. One that they point out a lot in articles and documentaries is that the prosecution brought in two forensic odontologists who showed photos of bite marks that were left on Lisa Levy's body and compared them to a model they had of Ted Bundy's teeth and saying they were an exact match. Where did they get a model of his teeth? I assume they took one in prison or when he was arrested. But something interesting about this is I know that like in more recent years, there's been some controversy on whether or not you could actually compare like dental records to bite marks and whether that's actually something that should be admissible in court. There's a new docuseries on Netflix. I can't think what it's called right now, but they talk about different types of like evidence that is used in trials and whether or not they should be allowed. And there is an episode on this kind of thing where if someone bites someone, can that really be an identifier that it matches the accused? For me, I think it would just need to follow along with the rule of beyond a reasonable doubt. And if their teeth are unique enough that certain traits could not show up, in any other circumstance then perhaps sort of like to the point of it being a fingerprint then maybe but if it's just like he's got a little chip there and it seems like this tooth bite part might not be you know that i don't know about that i do agree that it's probably not something that should be admissible in court we've done some different cases of wrongful convictions where little things were taken into consideration and then people were wrongfully convicted for things like hair samples being compared to other hair samples instead of actually dna tested i think that comparisons are always something that can be off or similar enough that you call it the same and it's not always i think that's a really good way to put it looking at comparisons not actual like dna or trace evidence but comparing two things that maybe look alike however i know that There's other cases where they look at comparison and it could be something that's very important to convict a person. And even though forensic science is technically a science, which uses a lot of quantitative measurements, but also qualitative. So you can compare things qualitatively in science 
technically, but when it comes to whether or not you're going to accuse someone of something or put someone in jail or give them the death sentence, perhaps you should focus on things that are a little bit more number-based and quantitative and for sure rather than seems like it and that's likely. Yeah, and you know, for this case, I think it was a good thing that they used it. We know that Ted Bundy is guilty of these crimes, so I'm glad it worked out correctly in this case. I just do wonder how many cases there are out there where maybe it was like a bite mark that convicted the wrong person. Just to play devil's advocate a little bit, there's also the flip side where how many more cases would have been solved if they weren't quite so 110% rigorous on different things, which is just, of course, the flip side of looking at it. But the whole world of that is so nebulous and weird and always changing. It's there's there's a lot of different ways everything could go. I really think that unless like a piece of his filling was found in their arm from like one tooth and then they were able to compare that somehow, I don't know that that can be traced, but I feel like there has to be something more traceable than just comparing everything. Yeah, in a sense it's similar to something a little out of context here like if someone got punched really hard in the head and you compared the dents from the knuckles in their skin or like fractures in the skull and and say you know the spacing kind of lines up with their knuckles like that's kind of the realm of where that's going of just comparing things just because they're close enough either way this testimony from the forensic odontologist was really big in the jury's decision they say later on in convicting ted they also had witnesses from the Kyle omega house testify that they saw ted bundy at the house that night and they had another eyewitness see him leaving and overall they just had a pile of evidence against him and the jury came back with a guilty verdict on July 24th, 1979 is when Bundy was officially found guilty on two counts of first-degree murder and three counts of attempted first-degree murder and two counts of burglary. And this is something that I, I don't know how I feel about it, so I'm going to say it and see what you guys think. Before the judge gave his punishment or sentencing to Ted Bundy, Bundy first, I'm going to tell you guys two things. Bundy says, I'm not going to ask for mercy, for I find it somewhat absurd to ask for mercy for something I did not do. So I will be tortured for and will suffer for and will receive a pain for the act, but I will not share the burden for the guilt. And the judge's response is, it's a tragedy for this court to see such a total waste, I think, of humanity that I've ever seen in this court. You're a bright young man. You'd have made a good lawyer. You went another way, partner. And he says some other stuff too, but he's kind of saying like, you seem like such a good guy, Ted, but you wasted it. And it seems like a weird statement to me. What do you guys think? The mystery has been solved. Here at Crime Over Coffee, our go-to caffeinated beverage for every episode is Fire Department Coffee. And you can get some as well and save 15% with our exclusive coupon code CRIMEPOD15. Owned and operated by firefighters and veterans, 10% of all their proceeds go directly to helping sick and injured first responders. And with an incredible range of flavors and caffeine strength, it's a company that all of us can easily support. So please go to firedeptcoffee.com and use our coupon code CRIMEPOD15 to support us, support them, help first responders, and get some incredibly tasty coffee along the way. 
it feels similar to when you're sitting in the principal's office and you're an honor student and you've done something stupid. It seems a little out of place, but also it could have just been like really personal to him as far as like everything that Ted did. So who knows, maybe, I mean, it seems a little bit out of line as far as like legal jargon of what you should actually be saying, but I don't know. I mean, like it it was a pretty powerful point in the movie too. Mm -hmm. They had a a lot of emphasis on that. I feel like I would have said something like that, honestly. I don't know. For me, it just, I can see it either way, but it almost seems a little inappropriate to me when I first heard about it and like read it. I don't know. For me, if you're the family member of one of his victims and you hear the judge like complimenting this man, it just, it didn't sit well with me and maybe it's just me overthinking it, but that's how I felt about it. I do agree with Bryce in the sense that it's kind of like when an honor student gets called to the principal's office and the principal's like complimenting them, but also kind of like smacking them on the hand, you know, and saying, you would have been a good lawyer, but you really kind of messed up and went the wrong way. I just feel like it just kind of angers me that he would say that. I guess to go back and clarify a bit about what I meant, I probably would have stopped at the waste of space, waste of human life type of comment because that's really what I resonated with. The whole, you know, saying you would have been a great human being, you would have done great things in the legal world, all that stuff, a little bit unnecessary for sure. From his perspective, he was probably just trying to give extra context to what he was trying to say of like, even though you could have been a gifted person, you've now turned into something so evil, like just to give extra context there as a comparison without actually complimenting him. But that part I probably wouldn't have ventured into. I kind of see it as him trying to almost make Ted Bundy feel bad for the choices that he's made. And it's almost like when your parents use the D word with you and they say that they're disappointed in you. I don't know that there's anything worse than hearing one of your parents or like a friend of yours say, I'm disappointed. And I feel like maybe that's kind of the route that he was going. Like, I'm disappointed in the choices you made. You could have had this great life, like a much better life and have made a lot better of choices had you not killed a bunch of people. <laughs> well, there's a slam from Erica. Ted Bundy did receive the death penalty, and that was supposed to be carried out by way of electric chair. In January of 1980, Ted Bundy went back to trial for the murder of Kimberly Leach. This trial had one of the most talked about things surrounding Ted Bundy happen during it. So, as I mentioned in the last episode, during his time in prison, Ted Bundy was dating Carol Ann Boone, which is a woman that he had actually worked with before he was arrested and convicted in all this. But as Ted does, he was representing himself, which meant that when Carol Boone testified on behalf of Ted, Ted was able to question her. And during this time, he proposes to her and she says yes And then he says, do you want to marry me? And she says, yes. And he says, I want to marry you. And then he announces to the courtroom that because of this specific Florida law, if you make a declaration of marriage in front of a judge in a courtroom, it's legally binding. So then because of this, him and Carol were officially married. Is that not insane? And I'm sure... From her perspective, it was so romantic. Yes, because she's one of the people, and she talks about this even later on in life. She truly believed that Ted Bundy was innocent through all of it. 
I mean, they say love is blind, but I feel like that's just so extreme. A little bit more about Carol and Ted's relationship. While he was in prison, she would come and visit him and would smuggle stuff in for Ted. And they also weren't technically allowed to have conjugal visits, but I guess there was the right kind of guard in there who would accept payments or whatever and kind of let them do their thing in the corner. And due to one of these encounters, Carol became pregnant with Ted's baby and she had their daughter Rosa Bundy in October of 1981. And we don't hear much from Rosa. She kind of stays under the radar nowadays, which understandably, I think. She'd be almost 40 now then. It's crazy what kind of life you'd have to slowly learn about and then realize that you were the direct result of that trial and marriage proposal. It's got to be a weird reality to set in at some point. 100%. I didn't do a lot of digging on her. All I saw is that she, there's not a lot of information about her. I assume she probably changed her name. There are some rumors that she possibly changed it to Abigail Griffin and moved to Oklahoma. I don't know if that's really true or just rumor or hearsay probably just something thrown out there to throw people off maybe made up by her who knows who knows carol and ted did end up divorcing in 1986 and she passed away in 2018 in a retirement home and she has done some interviews with different people and you can find some information about her relationship with ted and what she kind of went through if you watch the right documentaries or read the right books. So is that three marriage proposals for him? Yes. Yep. Because there were two before. Yeah. One where he broke up like a week or two later, right after New Year's for that one girl. And then the other girl that he was with. Mm -hmm. And then now this girl in the middle. My goodness. This guy's wild. Back to the trial. During it, there was a mountain of evidence against Ted again, just like in his past trial. There were clothing fibers from his jacket that was found on Kimberly's body. Multiple witnesses testified that they saw Bundy leading Kimberly away from the schoolyard to his car. There were hotel receipts that Ted Bundy was in the area and other physical evidence that linked him to the murder of Kimberly. And after it's all said and done, Ted Bundy is found guilty and received another death sentence to be carried out by way of electric chair. So as I mentioned earlier, Ted really maintained that he was innocent and just basically being framed for all of these crimes. And he maintained this all the way up until about hours before he was set to be executed. And at this time, he finally confessed to over 30 murders in states of California, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Utah, Colorado, and Florida between 1973 and 1978 and said that 10 of his victims were buried and admitted to severing the heads of some of them as well. And then he also admitted to having sex with multiple of his victims long after they had already died. Ted Bundy was executed on January 24th, 1989 at Rayford Prison in Stark, Florida at 42 years old. He had confessed, like I said, to over 30 women, but a lot of people believe that the count could be up to 100. 
and he was declared dead at 7.16 a.m. And there were a lot of people outside the prison there, either in support of him getting executed, and then he still at this point had people who believed he was innocent because he had just confessed so late on that they had no idea. I kind of looked into what Ted Bundy was like while he was in prison as well to see if he got into trouble or tried to escape or anything like that. And I did find a couple accounts from fellow inmates of his that said he was well liked by quite a few of them. One of his fellow inmates even said about Ted confessing to the crimes was that he found it hard to believe. And even after Ted confessed them all, he had a hard time believing Ted Bundy was even the culprit. One more kind of interesting thing I found for you guys and it goes along with some of our minis we've done, is his last meal. So Ted Bundy refused to pick one. And so they gave him a standard last meal. And that consisted of a steak cooked medium rare, eggs over easy, toast and jelly, milk, coffee, and juice. And I don't know who decided that's their standard last meal, but I thought it was kind of weird. It's like, here's a bunch of breakfast and some steak. Yeah, <laughs> just like, I I wonder who decided this is what it's going to be now. And I wonder if it's different depending on the prisons, too. Probably, but that's still a super weird meal for anybody to have, I think. He also refused to eat any of it, which he's probably a little nervous. <laughs> so I have a question for both of you. I know Abby had mentioned it earlier when she was talking about things where people believed that Ted Bundy was actually innocent. So Bryce and Abby, do either of you believe that Ted Bundy was innocent? No, 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 absolutely not. (laughs) No, no. It seems pretty conclusive to me. What do you think, Erica? (laughs) I also think he wasn't innocent, but... That's called leading the witness. You cannot beg the question like that. (laughs) I do not believe that he was innocent, but if any of you guys that are listening believe that he was innocent go ahead and like comment on social media email us message us whatever we'd love to hear your thoughts but abby had mentioned that people back then believed it i actually found an article from 2019 and some posts on a website called quora which from what i it looked like it kind of seems like reddit and so people were commenting on there like discussing whether or not they thought he was innocent and that the one post that i found that i'm going to read to you from quora was actually posted on january 30th 2020 so there's even people nowadays that believe he's innocent so i'm going to go through a little bit of that just to let you guys kind of see what they are thinking the one website that i went through they at the end end up saying that they don't believe that he's innocent but this is what they found that other people think so one of the main things was just the fact that ted changed his appearance so much so apparently one of the judges during the trial said that ted was a very chameleon like so he was like using some sort of ruse of like a broken leg or an arm or he was dressing up as a police officer or like wearing hats or all these different things so people were like it's possible that it was just like a case of mistaken identity and nobody was ever able to actually see the attacker and so they just ended up pinning it on ted because he looked similar and kind of fit the mo i could see that if maybe his whole hairstyle was changing or he had on a big hat or something but just like a broken leg like his face is exactly the same it's not like you can't see him but i don't know where there i feel like there have to be a lot of people that look like him for that to work i think a lot of that too stems from ted 
kind of portraying that and saying that that they just happen to have him and he looks similar to the average guy and putting that out there maybe yeah I don't know I agree I mean changing your appearance Abby and I talk about that all the time like it could have easily been him like just changing a thing here or there like I don't know I I don't see it as proving him as innocent then another one that I found on that website was that people around him didn't see the signs and he was able to keep like such great relationships with the people around him that somebody that was a serial killer wouldn't be able to keep those relationships like he did with like carol and his mom i feel like that happens more often than you'd expect though especially with like israel keys who had a frozen girl in his barn while his family was in the house and they had no clue and she was in there for quite a while Yeah, I think that is more on people just not really paying enough attention to how many serial killers or murderers are out there that are able to keep up appearances. I mean, they're not all just loners that can't talk to anybody or can't hold down a job. There's all different shapes and sizes and walks of life. Or like with the Delphi case, I mean, that guy's still walking around and while they believe that somebody probably knows who he is that killed the girls, I mean, he's obviously still putting on some sort of persona that is not tipping him off to everybody that he needs. This kind of leads into something really interesting that I've kind of thought about before, which is that every person in your life has their own perception of you. The only real you that you know is how you know yourself. For instance, how Erica knows me is different than how Abby knows me. And both of those are probably very different than how my mom knows me, my dad knows me, my brothers. So I think it's fairly possible and even likely that you could think you know somebody just because you've been around them, but on their own, they could be totally different because the only real you is how you are when you're alone. And who knows what kind of people in your life are extremely different, if not dangerous or evil in their own time. And just something to think about as you go to bed tonight. Um, I think that's a great way to put it up until the end because that was creepy. But everyone does perceive everybody differently and you give off such different vibes to different people that I don't think you can just expect to know someone wholeheartedly. And I think that was a great way to phrase that. I agree. The post that I'm going to read you that came from that core website comes from a user with the name of Fallon Adkins. And this is her exact post. I really think he was. So many things were off about the crimes. It was really fishy. Plus, his confession really makes me believe he was innocent. He talked about how violent pornography led him to it and how he wanted to stop. To me, that was using his situation to try and stop something bad. Also, he apologized to the families. No one that's supposedly that evil would apologize. Before his crime started, he helped lock up the Green River Killer, who killed over 50 women. The way he did it is very similar to the way Ted Bundy supposedly did. I think the Green River Killer framed him. I 100% think he was innocent. I think a lot of the jury and the judge were absolutely sure he was guilty, but they were too scared to let him go and be wrong, so they put him in jail. So one of the things I want to point out about her post, though, and I'm not exactly sure what she's referring to, but the Green River Killer was not apprehended until 2001. So that would have been 12 years after Ted had been put to death. So I'm not sure what she means when she says that he helped lock up the Green River Killer before his crimes. Well, it was possible that he was starting to assemble some evidence against him and that killer knew about it. And this could have been decades in advance. Who knows? But yeah, if he wasn't actually apprehended until the 2000s, it doesn't seem very likely. So that's pretty much all I have about his 
supposed innocence. Like I said, if you guys have other thoughts, though, feel free to send them in. We're always curious to hear you guys' thoughts. Now I'm going to go ahead and go into the psych eval that I found. So the psych eval that I'm going to go through is not one that was actually performed on Ted when he was alive. This is all stuff that Thomas Whittaker went through and kind of collected based on all of the evidence that they had and all of like the interviews that had been done with Ted when he was in custody. A lot of the stuff that Thomas talks about as well came from Hervey Cleckley, who is considered to be the father of psychopathy. Thomas Whittaker quotes, he was for the most part emotionally stable. A trait common to all psychopaths is the ability to be deceptive, to lie with ease. The classic phrase in psychopathy literature is that they wear a mask of sanity. There's probably a serial murderer someplace in the United States at any given moment. They can be very difficult to catch because there is no personal connection between them and the victim. In the mental health evaluation that was done by Hervey Cleckley with Ted Bundy in Florida ended with Hervey diagnosing Ted as a psychopath as well, which I believe we talked about in the first episode where we kind of talked about whether or not he was actually a psychopath. And I have the definition of a psychopath for you guys, which is, quote, social predators who charm, manipulate, and ruthlessly plow their way through life, completely lacking in conscience and feelings for others. They selfishly take what they want and do as they please violating social norms and expectations without the slightest sense of guilt or regret, end quote. Thomas also went on to explain that Ted would have most likely been diagnosed also with necrophilia, paraphilia, and sadism. Well, we know the necrophilia part because he admitted to that. So the five-factor model was developed as a model of general personality structure, and they use it for describing personality disorders there are five bipolar domains of personality functions that are labeled as extroversion agreeableness conscientiousness neuroticism and intellect or openness so these are all domains that when a psyche eval is being done they look at all five factors and determine where you fall in each factor so Thomas, in his research, studied Ted and discovered the following traits, which I think a lot of these are ones that we saw. So in relation to the extroversion, he said that he was engaging and assertive. With the antagonism, he said that he was deceptive, manipulative, callous, exploitative, and arrogant. For high conscientiousness, he was skilled, competent, thoughtful, organized, and diligent. And he was low with the neuroticism and his glib charm and his fearlessness. Other than like his angry hostility, he fell into that category. So with him falling into and having the traits that were in each of those five factors, that is how Thomas determined that Ted, in theory, would have been diagnosed with these different disorders. I think we can all agree, regardless of any psych eval that was done on Ted, that he wasn't a great person. And there were probably there was probably some things going on in his head where he probably should have sought out some sort of help. I mentioned a little bit of this in part one, but in some of his interviews that he did on tape, he mentions that he believes that there is no way anybody could have ever been able to tell from his childhood that he would grow up like this. And from my research, it seemed like some of his family did specifically his aunt, who mentioned him just completely changing on and off, and 
yet he still tried to maintain this facade up until hours before death. All in all, not a great person. Any last words, Abby, before we wrap up this wonderful series? Basically the same stuff you said and Erica said is where I'm at. I do encourage you guys to check out some documentaries and read. There's quite a few books about Ted Bundy if you really want to get an in-depth look on who he was and maybe a little bit more on his victims and his crimes. And if you're not really the kind of person that, you know, can sit for a long period of time watching long documentaries or reading books or anything, the movie does a decent job with Zac Efron. I think they portrayed it well enough that if you didn't know a lot about the whole case, they actually kind of make you wonder yourself at times on how innocent he might actually be. It's just overall a pretty good movie, about as good as you could do with the time limit of a feature film. So that wraps up this series on Ted Bundy. Thanks for listening to all four parts. We know it was pretty extensive as far as all the details, but we do try to give you as much information as we can, and we will see you next week. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. Also, all of our sources can be found in the show notes of each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. Donations are greatly appreciated and assist in making the podcast possible. Other ways to support us include recommending us to friends and family, giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening medium. So again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.